Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is actor Jake Johnson. You may know Jake as Nick Miller in New Girl or Peter B. Parker from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, but you can watch his new animated series Hoops, which is available now on Netflix. Jake and I talk about the fate of his character in the upcoming Jurassic World Dominion, the difficulties of being a cool comedian, and the three movies that changed his life. Once again, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to give us a star rating and leave a review because every single one counts. Thanks to Auntie in 7th Heaven for the most recent five-star review. Thanks again for listening. Here's Movies That Changed My Life with Jake Johnson. Jake, I want to kick off today's show by talking uh, about Jurassic World Dominion. The news is out. We got Jeff coming back. We got Sam, Laura coming back. Uh... Anything you can give us. Just give us one soundbite. <laughs> We're trying to get Jakey J back. Jakey <laughs> uh, J was on his way to London. Um, uh-huh. And then COVID hit. And so now we're figuring out scheduling. The issues of it are not Jurassic. They have been unbelievably cool, especially Colin Trevorrow. He's mm-hmm. doing everything in his power. The issues have come from my side and my scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um but I love Lowry. Yeah. Um, I loved playing him. I have been dying to see what happens to him, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be heartbreaking not to know what happened. <laughs> you know, he, he loves the dinosaurs so much. He loves the original park so much. He yeah. witnessed a massacre. He got rejected <laughs> by his love. Yeah. Um, so I'm very curious what would happen, uh, where he is now. Um, and Colin was into it. Then this pandemic hit. And so now we are trying to see if we can get a little control during the uncontrollable, but everybody is honestly working really hard at it. And I, I am safe to say we're all trying our best. Well, I hope to see Lowry show up there. So he was always like the, he represented the fans and he had the toys on his desk and all sort of stuff. So I'm like, we got it. Like it's got to work. Yeah, we need him. Uh, We need him. I just, it's going to be tricky. We all know 2020 is is tricky. Yeah. (laughs) So it's tricky for Lowry too. (laughs) (laughs) It's keeping a, keeping the method acting very, very real. Lowry's going to zoom into the movie. (laughs) (laughs) 
just to make he's going to zoom in with a mask just to make it totally 2020 brightened up my week when i got a chance to see hoops the first couple episode uh of hoops your new animated show that's coming out on netflix august 21st um hilarious raunchy uh talk to folks about it though if if they're unfamiliar you know it's a joke machine it's a show that is very r-rated it is for adults um but it's just cramming as many jokes as we can it's kind of loud characters being ridiculous and we hope people think it's funny because that's the the point of it it's a uh it's a show meant to make people laugh not a show meant to make people think it's <laughs> <laughs> a good catchphrase there um and you play uh the lead character of coach ben hopkins yeah uh, a brash loud high school basketball coach um, can you tell us a little, a little bit about him and uh, your development of, of that character? Yeah, Coach Ben was is a high school coach who just can't win. His daddy was a played by Rob Riggle, is a retired professional ball player who's six foot ten or something like that. And somehow Ben Hopkins is five foot six. He's always been the runt of his family. And his belief is if he can get this ragtag team of losers to win, his whole life can change. The problem is, is he doesn't know very much about basketball. He's not a good coach and he doesn't have good players. So there's this kid in the school who's a seven footer, this guy, Maddie, who doesn't have any friends. So coach believes Maddie is his key to success. If he can get this seven footer on his team, they could win. And if he could turn this group into a team, they can win enough that coach could get an opportunity to maybe coach in the NBA and have his whole dream realized. You're an executive producer on this alongside Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who are also into the Spider-Verse uh, producers as well. So when did you three decide to collaborate, um, you know, to start collaborating on, on this project? Well, this one started about seven years ago or so. Mm. Um, this one started as a pilot presentation for MTV that we made and then MTV passed on it and it sat around for years. And then long story short, Netflix was looking to do an animation and I believe they contacted Chris and Phil to see if Chris and Phil had anything. And the presentation we made had been circulating around, you know, people had seen it. Some people liked it. There was little interest, but then it would die. And then I got a call from Ben Hoffman saying, Netflix wants to hear the pitch of this show. So I, I kind of, it was one of those things for me. It was kind of dead to me. Right. And then I got a call saying they want to hear. And I just went to the pitch and sat next to Ben and we talked about the show and they showed it and they picked up 10. And next thing we know, we're making this as a series. <laughs> yeah. Netflix has been really great about picking up like the adult animation stuff. Um, you know, there's Bojack Horseman and Big Mouth. Okay. And then now, now Hoops is going to like, lined up right in there for folks who that's what i think i think they're looking for for adults you know where it's just kind of hard r for comedy's sake and they've been a really nice home for us my notes in this is the first minute of the show you know exactly what you're in for that's right. uh and then the final scene of the first episode uh in which uh, without spoiling your your character of Coach Ben Hopkins, he gets a little victory on his side. Uh, I wrote that final speech at the tip off is like ver- is like a vulgar Shakespeare. Um, it just <laughs> <laughs> like it just keeps going and going and going, and it's just yeah. rattling off all these like profanities, but it works so well. And Thanks, vul- vulgar Shakespeare, I thought that was a very appropriate. Uh, you know, I really like the way you put it. The uh... There is a, the dance of this show is, it's really vulgar, it's really crass, 
but it's not just vulgar and crass just to be vulgar and crass there was there is ben's very lyrical he's a musician and ben's mm-hmm. the guy who created the show mm-hmm. so where the swears come in really did matter to him <laughs> so it's yeah. not just swear. it's like it matters there was a rhythm to it and there right. were times we found it and other times we didn't but i like what you said a minute in you know exactly what the show is so mm-hmm. the way I'm kind of pitching the show to people is because I have no interest in people watching this and being offended and not liking it and keep watching it. Sure. sure. My thought is, is if you don't like the first minute, just turn it off. <laughs> you know, cause yeah. you, like if you've watched a couple, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't grow and it doesn't change, <laughs> but it's got a lot of great jokes in it and it's got yeah. a lot of funny stuff. You mm-hmm. just, you've got to be the certain type of person that this sense of humor works for you. And if it does, then I think we've done a really good job at hitting this joke as many different ways as we can. Uh, well, awesome. That is Hoops uh, coming out August 21st, 2020 on Netflix. Again, great, uh, raunchy, adult animated comedy, like vulgar Shakespeare. So g- give it a watch uh, when it comes out. But right now, let's get into the movies that changed Jake Johnson's life. Let's start in chronological order here, um, starting with 1998's Rushmore. This is a 7.7 out of 10 with 163,000 ratings on IMDb, directed by Wes Anderson, written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson, starring Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Olivia Williams, Seymour Castle, and Brian Cox. It tells the story of a young boy named Max Fisher, played by Jason Schwartzman, as he navigates his life at Rushmore Prep School. So tell us, uh, when was the first time you saw Rushmore? So the first time I saw it, I think it was early 2000, maybe 2001-ish, right around that era. But my friend Bill Bungaroff uh, contacted me and said, there's a movie you need to see. He's like, "You ju- I, I promise you, you need to see it. And I blew it off and I was like, sure, yeah, we'll see it, we'll see it. And we ended up going to his parents' house in the suburbs of Chicago in his basement one night. And... I don't know if that was the era of you know DVDs or what we watched or VHS. I just can't remember. But we sat down in the basement. He turned off the lights and we watched that movie. And I had never at that point seen something that did for comedy what to this day I'm still and will always copy. And that is the line between drama and comedy and cool little indie but hard funny and characters that like the way Bill Murray plays uh, Herman Bloom in that movie, where he's so depressed and he's so sad and he's going through such a period, but everything he says is funny. And the way the music was so cool, but the coolness didn't take away from the comedy. Um, it was the, the first time I'd just seen a movie and said like, this is exactly what I want to do. You know, mm-hmm. I've grown up watching certain comedies and I knew like, well, I want to do comedy. And then I would see a drama. I'll go, well, I really like drama. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd see like some cool indie and I'd be like, I would like to do that. Rushmore was the first movie I ever saw that I deep in my bones felt jealous that I didn't make it or I wasn't part of that. You know, I think about that movie quite a bit. Like to this day, when I do something that doesn't work, I think her name is Margaret Yang, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, Margaret Yang. Yeah. She'll, I, she has a line that I'll slightly paraphrase, but she'll go like, I expected it to work and it just didn't work. Well, I'll think of that to this day when I do something and it screws up. Like she, Margaret had a great experiment. It, 
it just didn't work. It's just disappointing. <laughs> uh, there's a line in there that says, you know, prayers for surf boy, wherever he is. I think about that when I like, haven't talked to a friend for a while. I'm then uh, wherever, like, wherever surf boy is, I'm thinking about him. It was just a movie to me that hit me so creatively hard. Um, the movie ended and I remember I was almost like gasping. I felt like, holy shit. Like very rarely do I think when I watch something, do I think they've done it? That's the thing that my friends and I, and I've dreamed about. Mm -hmm. And Rushmore was that thing where to this day when it's on, I remember what it felt like watching it for the first time. And I can see in my own performances when I'm stealing the tone Hmm. that they've used on it, where there'll be like a rhythm where, you know, when Bill Murray's in the elevator and he goes, he's like, how you been? He takes a deep breath and goes, no, I've been a little lonely these days. I will know when I'm thinking of him in a scene. Like I would never have played Nick Miller the way I played Nick Miller if I hadn't seen Bill Murray play Herman Bloom, where it's every character I do, I can go back to before and after Rushmore how I would have done it. 1999 comedies were a lot raunchier. Uh, you know, it was kind of it was yeah, big, like bigger comedies. It was sort of getting into like the Will Ferrell yep, sort of totally. crew, right? The frat pack and 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 Rushmore was a complete departure from that. And then even you know pre Rushmore, sort of like the teen comedies and that sort of stuff. So yep. it did, it does stand out like not only now but at the time as like a completely unique form of comedy. I, I totally that, you know. agree. And for me personally, I thought you know Rushmore. I saw it when I was probably 22, mm-hmm. and at 22 you're still really battling with this idea of if you're cool or not. So at 42, I now know I'm not cool. So I've given up. <laughs> but at 22, I still wasn't sure if I was cool and being doing comedy and being cool are two very different things. Like Chappelle pulls it off. Chappelle's mm-hmm. cool. Yes. and does comedy, but most people who do comedy, if you really break them down, they're not that cool. They're funny, but they're not that cool. <laughs> Rushmore to me was that it was so cool. It looked so good. The music was so good. The fonts were so mm. perfect mm-hmm. um, that I was like, this is a way to be really cool and really funny and a good actor. It was, I mean, honestly, it was, uh, I loved it. And like, um, you know, he he did Bottle Rocket before Rushmore, but Rushmore, I feel like, is really the start of, like, where you see Wes Anderson do his Wes Anderson thing. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I love Bottle Rocket. No, yeah, Bottle Rocket's great. but Bottle Rocket, to me, is so pure and so funny, but I saw Bottle Rocket second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I saw Bottle Rocket after Rushmore, right. and I loved it. Yeah. Uh, but I had already fallen in love with Rushmore, so yeah. I was like... I mean, don't get me wrong. I love it, but Rushmore is a movie. Yeah, I'm I'm such a Wes Anderson fanboy. Like any all of his movies, like I I love to death. Uh, yeah. Do you uh, actively like love you know Royal Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic all equally as Rushmore or Rushmore yeah. really was like the one? Okay, so what's yeah. the difference there? For me, Tenenbaums was the last one that I really connected with, mm-hmm. and now um, you know I, I don't I watch his uh, claymation movies, his stop motion movies. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't seen one of his live action movies in years. Got it, got it. It kind of faded for me. Sick Transit Gloria, Glory Fades, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As uh, Bill Murray says at intermission, let's just hope there's a happy ending.
Well, that was 1999's Rushmore, again, written and directed by Wes Anderson. If you haven't watched it, go check it out. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Uh, moving on, speaking of indie movies and uh, movies with unknowns at the time, let's go to 2005's Puffy Chair. This is 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb with 4,000 ratings. Uh, so very few have seen. Written and directed by Jay and Mark Duplass, uh, starring Mark Duplass, uh, Katie Asselton, and Rhett Wilkins. Um, the story is uh, character Josh drives cross-country on a mission to deliver his father's birthday gift, a giant purple Lazy Boy. I have never seen this. It's always been on my list of like indie movies I need to watch. I just never got around to it, so thank you. Uh, I really, really, really love the movie. Um, but talk to us. When was the first time you saw The Puffy Chair? So this one is a little bit different for me of why it changed my life. Um, so I had heard about this movie. And at this point, I was already in L.A. I was doing the acting grind. I was auditioning for stuff, just trying to get cast. And people started talking about this movie out of Austin with these young filmmakers that did it themselves. And when I watched the movie, I thought it was really good. I think the Duplass brothers are super talented. But what that movie did for me more than anything, and I say this as a compliment to them, not under underhanded at all, but I felt like, oh, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I like it what they're doing a lot. I think what they're doing is smart. But I can make a movie like this with people who I know for not a lot of money, and I could go to Sundance. And I could maybe start a career from little movies and it blew my mind. It was the beginning of, from what I later understood to be the Mumblecore movement. Mumblecore, yeah. Um, there are going to always be the Marvel movies, the Star Wars movies, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Huge studio, bring the whole family, amusement park movies. Great. Um, but the Puffy Chair really proved for my generation that there's another type of movie that could also be made and also be successful and also launch careers. And I'm still influenced by that. You know, my buddy Trent and I during this quarantine are meeting today in 30 minutes. That was the guy I was texting <laughs> to talk yeah. about a secret project we're developing that is the size of Puffy Chair or Smaller. Because that wow. is a way you can say, all right, so if we can get equipment and we can do things, how do we do it? And a movie like that, you can always go back to and say, all right, well, what did they do? Because this launched a whole thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was that movie because I had heard about it from people for so long. It had created this legend about itself. And so for that, it'll always be one of those movies that changed my game. Yeah, I mean, the movie had a $15,000 budget, which um, they borrowed most of it from their parents. They had uh, friends and actual girlfriends just playing in the, these roles, and they shot on a, uh, at the time, I think it was the first consumer camera that could shoot 24 frames per second. Um, they were the I own mean, sound people. They did yeah. their own props. They wore their own clothes. 
But um, like you said, like it makes you feel like I can do this. But again, it's like in the inspiring way, not like I can do this because right. I'm better, but I can do this because this is something that shows you like what movies can do. Um, so you chatted a little bit briefly about this. So for people who aren't familiar with the phrase mumblecore, right. um, it is like this genre of sort of hyper-realistic filmmaking, uh, most kind of characterized by sort of dark comedy. Um, most of the lines are improvised, uh, made on a very low budget. Obviously, $15,000 is on like the extreme low end of that. Um, and, and you starred in a couple of those films. Um, I mean, Drinking Buddies with Olivia Wilde, Ron Livingston, Anna Kendrick. Um, is there something about filming like in the mumblecore like philosophy that attracts you to it? You know, yeah, especially when I did uh, Drinking Buddies, which is now, you know, seven years ago or six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what was really attractive about it now is different because now once something becomes something and then actors mm-hmm. are acting in the style of mumblecore. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. It, it reminds me of like a reality show that's great. And then once the cast members have come on and they're fans of the show, the whole show's ruined. We're like, now you're acting like you're on the show. (laughs) So what made Mumblecore great, and I was already on the late, I wasn't, you know, I'm not one of the pioneers of it. So Mm -hmm. there was a group of people, Lynn Shelton, uh, Mark Duplass, Joe Swanberg, a bunch of people who were doing it for years, Greta Gerwig. I came, you know, I was part of most likely the sellout group because we were in Drinking Buddies. <laughs> um, but when we did it, you know, our cast, we were all weirded out that there wasn't a script. We were weirded out that a schedule for a scene would say, Kate and Luke, my character and Olivia's character, get in a fight. And Olivia and I would say to Joe, like, what would you like from us today? And Joe would say, like, well, we're going to get in a fight. We'll figure it out. And so our version of Mumblecore was just trying to figure out what the f*** we were doing. <laughs> um, and once you would find the rhythm, it was almost like magic where you'd go, oh, yeah, that's a scene. And he's like, yeah. And now we move on. And so there was something about it that was very addictive because you didn't have the process of executive and notes and the tension of nine people at video village with headsets on and people arguing about your character before you've even talked is a line likable or not likable. And you've thought like, Oh, I haven't even said it yet. And there's been so many debates that when you get there, the director puts their arm around you and says like, everybody's really worried about this moment. We've been talking about it for months. And as an actor, you go like, Jesus, everybody relax. (laughs) And Mumblecore is the opposite. Because what I learned about it, my version of it, was nobody's sure what's going to happen. So let's see if there's magic in here. And that felt so liberated and exciting. But, you know, I'm less excited about the idea of it now because, like everything, there's moments. Mm Mm-hmm. And, but then you get a group of actors playing mumblecore and they're all wearing beanies and everybody mumbles and everybody just wants to take their clothes off. I'm like, I, I don't know if this is it. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, you know, I, I had seen other, you know, like Lynn Shelton movies and, and Swanberg movies and other like mumblecore, but I never got to Puffy Chair. And it's so funny. There's that scene uh, towards the beginning of the film where Mark, uh, he gets in a he gets in an argument with Katie and he goes to her house and does like the say anything moment. But he's instead of holding up... Um, I forget whoever's in the original movie. He's holding up playing Death Cab for Cutie. Right. And I'm like, man, what a what a 
moment in time. time capsule. In which, <laughs> what a moment in time in which you could have like a main character for this indie movie <laughs> holding up a Death Cab for Cutie like song and like 2005, like right at their peak, Same. right when like they're about to reach like go beyond indie to like mainstream music. I mean, it's just it's like, perfect. man, that is a. <laughs> perfect it's perfect i agree totally well that was 2005's the puffy chair again if you haven't seen it not many people have definitely go and watch it uh it, it's a pretty influential film in terms of the, you know indie movies in the last uh 10 15 years all right before we get to your last movie pick uh i wanted to talk a little bit about some town season two you, you said there were some updates there yeah we you know we got a new showrunner and a new writing staff and i just had a meeting with our new showrunner monica Brin and I'm really excited about what they're doing with it. I think see, I think if people didn't find Stumptown season one, I ask them to give us a chance season two. And those who liked it, I think they're going to get more of what they liked and it's going to get heightened. They seem to really want to hone in on the grittiness of it, the realness of it, the depth of the characters. And I think what they're doing is really exciting. Getting to meet with the new showrunner and stuff, uh, different kind of nerves. Does it feel like you're getting sort of like a, a fresh restart on that in addition yeah. to you know kind of pushing forward? Yeah, it's a new experience for me. I've never been part of something that there's new blood that comes in. So Jason, oh. our original showrunner, he's still around. He's still a producer. So mm-hmm. we don't lose the old. But I think what they wanted to do is there was a lot everybody really liked about season one. And what's pretty cool about Carrie Burke at ABC is, from what I understand, she really likes the show and she's really pushing for it to be its best version. And so yeah. – Having new blood come and talking to Monica and we're getting like new producer directors, this guy Anton and Stacy Black. It just feels like we're almost it's almost a new show, but it because it's got that feeling of when you book a job and you're talking to everybody and everybody's excited about what it wants it to be. But we do have 18 episodes under our belt of depth and understanding of characters. Right. So I don't know, there's something about it that feels very alive you know kobe and i are texting a lot we're excited ely is really excited it just feels like we're all kind of chomping at the bit to get back to work let's move on to your final movie i'm very excited to talk about this this is 2017's get out yeah it is a 7.7 out of 10 uh with 470,000 ratings on imdb written and directed by jordan peele starring dana kaluuya allison williams bradley britford katherine keener and caleb landry jones um i think get out is arguably the most important movie of the last 20 years. Yeah, I agree. Could, could be up there in most important movies of all time. We'll see like in the future. Um, so, so talk to me. I mean, you're obviously this is a more recent film. Um, what was this like seeing this? Well, speaking of change movies, changing the game. Well, I, what I loved most about this movie was, um, mostly in the seat I met in this industry, when you talk about movies and you're pitching movies and you're trying to get things across, the most annoying note I've heard over and over and over again is people's inability to see that you can mix genres. Mm. Once you try to mix it, for some reason, it feels as if you know the powers that be believe audiences will get confused. That you need to quite literally do one or the other. So... What blew me away about Get Out was it was the one of the funniest movies I've seen in the last few years. It was one of the scariest movies I've seen in the last few years. It was a really wild romantic movie. It had like really like sexy scenes where I was like, before I find out like before Allison Williams made that turn, I thought they were a great couple. 
<laughs> I thought I was watching a, a movie about a wrong. I thought she was going to defend him. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was very smart politically and made me think about things that I'd never thought about. And it mixed all those genres perfectly. So you could go from the comedy of uh, his friend talking to the police officers where I'd be Mm -hmm. hard laughing at those bits. And those would be bits that, you know, Jordan from Key and Peele is a master comedian. Mm -hmm. So those bits would be like, if this was a comedy and that was the tone of the whole movie, it would be a successful comedy. But then you would switch to a thriller and the horror would be, but then it would go into dark psychological thriller where I just didn't know what they were going, where they were going to, to then this depth of study of entering our own minds and our own past. And I'm into hypnotherapy as a form of therapy. So Mm -hmm. tapping into the fear of hypnotherapy in order to silence people. I'm like the layers of that movie kept going down and down and down and deeper and deeper. But the reason that it's one of those full game changers to me is where I get annoyed with entertainment recently is if a movie has a lesson, sometimes they forget that the most important thing should be entertainment because it's what we're making. We are making Mm -hmm. something that ideally people want to watch. What Jordan did in that movie that I cannot believe is he had a clear message and it was very pointed and it was very smart, but it was also so entertaining that I could forget about it while I was learning. It's like a great professor who runs a class and it's the professor, like she's so good that you're like, man, that was the best hour ever. And I've learned more about American history. (laughs) (laughs) And it just, it shocked me where I was like, oh, this is, you know, you talk about masterpieces and you talk about, you know, movies from the seventies or, you know, classics. And when I watched that movie, it was about three quarters of the way through. I had that feeling of like, oh, I'm watching a masterpiece. The mm. acting was so good. It was shot perfectly. It looked great. Everything about the movie ended. And I just thought like, wow, that was a full on masterpiece. It was genre bending. It was everything. And so I just yep. thought, you know, wow, well, damn, man, I didn't know you were playing at that level. I didn't even <laughs> know people were still trying to play at that level. I thought that level was retired. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about the layers of the film, something, you know, I've seen this a couple of times and I rewatched again ahead of this. Like, like you said it perfectly, you could watch this movie just as a thriller and it's amazing. You could watch it as a comedy and it's amazing. And you could watch it with like the most surface level sort of insight into the political and social messages in there. And, and it's, it's amazing, but it's, it's enough. But when you really like watch it again and, and when you're watching it the second time and you realize that you're not supposed to trust any of these people, That's right. it's better and better and better. And every line matters so much. Like the other person who does that, I mean, a lot of people do it, but for me who really hits is Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm, Paul Thomas uh, Anderson yeah. does things with his movies where you can watch uh, there will be blood and it could be the funniest movie of the year. And you could watch the scenes and go, this is ridiculously funny. You know, this guy is a utter maniac. And it's funny to watch a maniac. Or it could be the scariest 
movie about this destructive, horrifying guy. And mm-hmm. both movies work well. You can watch Boogie Nights and just crack up the whole time or have your right. heart broken and go like, this is so insane that these humans exist in this world. And so I think Paul Thomas Anderson and Jordan Peele are playing the same game. And that is telling multiple stories with multiple genres at the same time seamlessly. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, he's I'm- the best. So we talked about, like I said earlier, that I think it's probably the most important movie since 2000. Uh, it's very predictive in a way of where like the social climate sort of was going to go. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, they address a lot of sort of white passive aggression to, uh, you know, African-Americans here. Like there's so many lines where, where he says like, oh, I would have voted for Obama three times if I could. Or, oh, I love Tiger Woods. He's the best uh you know he's the best golfer i've ever seen like you love you like tiger right like these like microaggressions that i feel like at the time wasn't really at the forefront of like popular culture and sort of awareness among how people should speak to each other and i think this movie like shined a light on something that again is pretty subtle like if you're not really looking for it you don't realize how like cringy those lines are but when you're watching it again you're like man that is like uncomfortable to say and hear and jordan obviously being a you know black man in the entertainment industry He's writing that, I'm sure, from experience at a point. Um, When you're seeing those lines for the first time, I remember watching it being like, I really did not think of how awful it is to say things like that until you're seeing it in rapid fire in that party scene. Um, Was there like a similar reaction for you when you're seeing these things that you may have not caught until it's like blasted in front of you? Like, oh man, (laughs) you know, there's changes that need to be made here. Yeah, I think Jordan was ahead of his time. I think now, you know, culturally we're saying more and more, people are saying, you know, what affects them in a different way. I mean, I'll know, you know, my, my black friends I have reached out to in this period. And honestly, I've learned quite a bit more of things that happened while I was with somebody that as a white guy, I didn't think much of Mm -hmm. that. I realized now like, Oh yeah, that was me not being a good enough friend there because I can't relate to that. It did. I remember leaving and oh, my white buddy and I, who I saw it with, we had a conversation about races to white guys. And we were like, well, I don't think you and I have ever had a conversation about race together. Yeah. And we we're like, yeah, this is, this is a great, as well as, and then while we're having that conversation, we're also going like, yeah. And we're going, also, here's another great scene. Yeah. Because it's not, ju- it's not a movie that's just saying like, hey, I'm going to hit you over the head with this and you're going to feel responsible and you're going to want to make a social change. It was also just a really entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. So when it does something like that where it's everything, you know, f- <laughs> I mean, what can you say? Just bravo. Like, yeah. Man, that was just great. Yeah. Uh, wholeheartedly agree. Uh, get Out really, I think, like you said, like it is a masterpiece and yeah. is going to be researched in film schools and discussed on podcasts and conversations till, till the end of time. Yes. Agreed. The end of time. Do you see a through line between uh, Rushmore, The Puffy Chair, and Get Out as uh, three movies um, that change your life? Is there any sort of consistency there between the three films? Through, the through line, I guess, is they were all groundbreaking in their own ways. But besides that, they're all they're such different projects and tones and they changed my game. It's in such different, like get out for me. Honestly, it's not a movie that I watched and thought when I watched Rushmore, I, 
I thought I need to make comedies like this. Mm-hmm. When I saw Puffy Chair, I said, I need to make movies like this on my own. When I saw Get Out, I just thought like, it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to yeah. watch more of Jordan Peele's movies. <laughs> I Perfect. didn't see myself in it. I didn't say like, God, I got to like really send him a card because hopefully I'm in one of his movies. I don't need to be in Jordan's movies. I just like to watch them. Yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. Well, perfect. So again, Hoops comes out August 21st uh, on Netflix. I think folks are going to be in for a very good time. Again, you watch the first minute of the show, you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. I'm hoping more people love it because uh, there are a lot of fantastic laughs. It is a joke machine, as Jake says, along the way. Well, Jake, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. It was. Stay safe, buddy. Thanks, you too. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on Jake and to easily add the movies that changed his life to your IMDb watch list.